Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Create Tech. We are getting going today, and I'm very, very excited to talk to a creative technologist. We're exploring all different kinds of uh, guests here today, but we have Eric Manser, who is here with Zyflow. And um, Eric, thank you first for being here and uh, just taking a jump into the deep end of this new podcast. I appreciate it. Russ, it's a pleasure. I'm a, I guess I'm a podcast veteran now. So my gosh, I'm, I'm <laughs> so excited to, uh, to be on with you, truly. Awesome. It's actually, I used to do a podcast. It was all about personal stuff. And this is my first business podcast ever. So um, I tend to tend to try to stick to business, but we end up talking about family and life and all over things too. So, so you do um, sort of drift back into your 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 personal <laughs> podcast tendencies every now and then, right? You know, I just like to know the stories of people. Yeah. Where is it going? All of that. <laughs> um, well, Eric, let's start with a brief introduction for you personally first, and then we'll get to where you're at today in Zyflow. Let's get like a few minute background of how you got into creative technology, how you got into product um, the, the degree you may or may not have gotten that's totally useless now, like me, I had an industrial design degree I've never used in my life. That seems to be a recurring theme with some folks, but, um, who is Eric? Let's get, let's get that foundation established. Russ, uh, when I was a senior in college, very, very long time ago, I wanted to be a VJ at MTV. That was my, de- <laughs> that was my career aspiration. I saw those Just guys the on term VJ. Yeah, just the term VJ dates you perfectly. Oh my so. gosh, I watched the guys on Total <laughs> Request Live and I was like, I could do that. Like all the screaming kids and interviewing, you know, NSYNC, that was, that was going to be for me. So the, the, my path to getting there was through radio and spent a bunch of time working in radio, being on the air, working in promotions, working in marketing. And it just got to the point where, you know, you need to be exceptional at this craft in order to either get on TV or at least in radio, get to one of the major markets. So I found marketing as an outlet for the storytelling that I was doing on the radio, being able to tell a story to people, being able to get people excited about what it is that we were doing, whether it be a promotion, where we were going to be broadcasting live from, concert ticket giveaways, you name it. So that's sort of how I began the off-ramp from hoping to be a star in the vein of Carson Daly to being a, a marketer which in and of itself is storytelling at the end of the right. day, right? You know this. Right. You know, you're doing either doing so via the written word, via a web page, via a piece of marketing collateral, an amazing web banner, whatever it is, you're trying to convey a story in as few syllables, 15 seconds talking up a Britney Spears song as possible. And <laughs> that's sort of how I define myself as a product marketer is that the story that I'm telling to uh, potential buyers, future or current customers is specifically about the value that they're getting from the use of our software. And I've been in product marketing for just under 10 years, and I still think I'm telling stories, even though it's not the same type of stories I was telling 20 years ago or so, you know? Now, quick point of clarification, because you and I are in the space of software, we understand these roles, but how would you define the difference between a marketer and a product marketer? What's What's the value they drive? I think a marketer oftentimes is is brand, it's awareness, it is um it's it's a problem recognition. Uh you can dive even deeper into things like content marketing and demand generation. That side of marketing is very much, hey, bring people to the party. Product marketing chats them up over the the punch bowl, right? He they right. I love that. Find out, <laughs> we want to find out more yeah. about what their challenges are and express to them that there's a way out. You know, I'm, I'm a disciple of sort of the solutions-based selling uh, framework where you got to build the pain and then sell the solution. And I think product marketers are perfectly suited to assist 
our marketing counterparts with the pain storytelling, but we're really driving home where uh, where the band-aids and the medicine comes in and how we solve the problems that uh, that have been identified. So what was your first official role where you like woke up one day, maybe on a Monday or Tuesday morning, and you're like, I am a product marketer. What was that position? It, you know, so I was working in customer success, which is a, where a lot of product marketers come from because they are right. so embedded and so in deep with their customers. They almost... You know, they certainly have their paychecks signed by the company they work for, but they almost feel like they're going to bat for, going to work for their customers every day. So I felt like there was a world where I could convey, properly convey the customer's voice back up into the organization in a really effective way, given that I was involved with these folks, you know, so very, very deeply. And it was that moment where I was like, well, I'm, I'm not only teaching the customer and in, in conveying the value in the use of the software in a customer success role, but I'm also speaking with the customer's voice backwards. And mm -hmm. that, to me, was the moment where I was like, well, I wonder, I could do, wonder if that's a job. I wonder if that's a role I could do where I, I speak with as the Metatron of the product team or as the marketing team for the value, but also the other way around. And right. um, that was the moment where I said, I wonder if there's a space here for me. And as it turns out, the company I was working for hired a new VP of marketing uh, who himself was a product marketer, having uh, had experience at Spotify. And he saw sort of what I was doing and what I was interested in and said, I got plenty of room under this wing. Why don't you come join me? So it was, it was a formative moment. And, you know, it's an opportunity that not, every, not everybody has. And it was, it was great for me at the time, for sure. Okay, so I'm going to ask a very nuanced question that only like probably like eight people are going to care about who listen to this. Does product marketing fit under marketing or the product team? Because yeah. this is a conversation in our, and, and, and like we've gone back and forth ad nauseum at this at Design Pickle, but I'm curious what your thought is there. Here's the answer. And I am <laughs> totally cribbing on the, the, the queen of product marketing or one of the, the most uh, highly um, noted yeah. or quoted uh, published right. authors on product marketing. Her name is a April Dunford. And, and her opinion on this, she wrote the book, Obviously Awesome. It's like a, a seminal text for product marketers. And she says, look, product marketing aligns well with marketing. It connects well with marketing. It should be under marketing, but only if the marketing leader gets the product. Does the marketing leader understand the space? Do they understand what the software does or, or the product does? Are they, are they so well-versed? Can they speak with the customer's voice themselves? Because mm -hmm. if you have a product, if you have a marketing leader that is per perhaps a former sales leader, or somebody who just doesn't speak as well or as connect as well with the customer and what the what the product can help solve for them, then product marketing perhaps works better underneath a product leader. But mm -hmm. I have been fortunate enough to be able to work under marketing leaders for my career, mostly because those marketing leaders are know know the product and the audience and the customer base backwards and forwards. So I I've been lucky. But that's that's where I fall on that. And I think that's where you know, other leaders in the product marketing space do it. Awesome. So let's start to get to present day. You know, um, Zyflow is a company we'll talk about in a second with, in the creative space, uh, workflow management, collaboration, all of the things that you need to do to get creative projects done. What other industries did you stop in at on the way to today? Were you always in creativity? Were you always in... Um, SaaS software, like what are some of the notable, the notable steps on this ladder? So I, I spent a sizable portion of my product marketing career in advertising technology. And mm -hmm. advertising certainly, ad tech certainly isn't creative tech. It certainly isn't marketing tech. It's different. 
but creative matters there so greatly. You know, the, right. the, the, the notion of CTR, click-through rate, and those rising and falling numbers, you know, keeps marketers up at nights because they know that quality creative is going to lead people to get in the front door, get, get to the website, get to the landing page, get to the downloadable content that we want them to read. So creative plays a huge role or played a huge role even way early in my career when I was consulting, you know, the Zingas and the Wayfarers of the world on, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the right methodology for doing Facebook and Instagram ads, you mm -hmm. know? And then, you know, as I can progress throughout my career, creative has always been a part of my role. I have actually been the functional leader of both design teams and video production teams. They've sort of rolled up to me because product marketing had some element of um, leverage or, or sort of a, a middle ground between demand generation and content marketing that it made sense for me to be the, the, the third the third peg in the stool to have the creatives report to. So oh, yeah. um, I don't think there's ever been a role that I've had in, in a product marketing space that has not touched or had some relationship to creative. And that is, I think, served me really well, you know, now where I am at Zyflow. Yeah. So let's, let's just jump right into it then. And then I'd love to, you know, hear about some of the, um, the present day and future challenges that we're looking at. But like, I'll just say, I've been a creative my whole life, went to design school, um, built my first career off one Photoshop class. And I was like, if I could do Photoshop, I can do anything. Like I'm invincible. And, uh, it's the gateway like, drug, right? It's, it really, it's the, it's, it's the, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually slight factual correction. I, my first job required InDesign and I only knew Photoshop and Illustrator. And I was like, eh, how, how different could it be? Like, <laughs> like I could totally do that. Yes. I know InDesign. And then I was like cramming for two weeks before my first day of work. Um, but what's interesting about my journey, and I think like if I want to date myself, I've been in this space 20 years now, is like the problems seem to always be the same. And the problems of the creative and the creating content and working with teams, it's like 90% communication. Mm -hmm. Like that is like at the end of the day, if something's not going well, it's usually not the fact that the designer doesn't know the pen tool. Or that like, you know, some some um, image isn't exactly the perfect image. It's like, we're just not communicating well. Mm -hmm. And I think from my understanding and looking at what Zyphlo is trying to solve, it really is about the process of creativity. So um, am I on track? Like, what, where are you at today with Zyphlo? What is, what is the really the core of the core problem that you guys are solving in this creative technology space? Yeah, we call ourselves a creative collaboration platform. And I think mm -hmm. that is that is a a good sort of positioning or a place to start because we don't want to affect the way creatives create. And I know that seems like you know I'm smashing two of the same words together, but you know a lot of creatives have their own way of doing things. You know, give me a dark room and two big monitors, I'm going to bang this thing out and it's going to be perfect. But in order for them to get in that dark room, they need to be able to have a, a set of um, a set of stakeholders who are giving them the appropriate foundation for which to build that creative on top of a brief for a, uh, a project scope or what have you. And then once they turn in version one, they need to know that in order to get to version two, they need to be able to get an appropriate amount of feedback that's going to have allow them to calibrate this to get to the next version and then ultimately to the finished product. Mm -hmm. And that I think is lacking in a lot of whether it be organizations or um, in a lot of existing tools. Now, you can't really do that with Photoshop, InDesign, Illustrator on its own, on its, on its right. core. 
know, you can't send an AI file or a PSD file via email to a stakeholder and expect they'll be able to open it and be right. able to provide cogent feedback. They just can't do it. And, you know, some of the project management platforms, which I think are fantastic for sort of keeping people on track, they lack the ability to be as inclusive and uh, welcoming of all members of the team, as well as inclusive and, and, and welcoming of the creatives themselves. The, the creative right. can't just, you know, click twice and upload a, a completed version to, you know, a task and a task management platform. So what Zyflo tries to do is become that connective tissue. A, mm -hmm. a, a, a creative can basically, in two clicks, bang, you've got a version up into the cloud, hosted in the cloud, no matter the file size, no matter the file type, 1,200 different files. The stakeholders themselves are instantly notified by email, Slack, Teams, you name it. And they click in, and they open it on any browser, on any device, leave feedback, uh, noted, you know, marked up, whatever. And then it gets them closer to the point, there's literally a giant blue button at the top of the screen that says, make a decision. It prompts them to continue to push the process forward. The right. creative can see all that feedback. They make their changes. Version two goes in. And all of this happens asynchronously. If you've got a distributive team, if you've got a team in, in the UK or somebody down in South Africa, somebody out in the Far East, you know, those people can access the browser at any time. And it, it just continues to speed the process forward. And no one's sitting there chasing anybody for feedback. No one's sending right. Slack messages passive aggressively. Hey, we need your help with this. Or, you know, none of that is happening. It's just happening automatically and you don't need to worry about it. And, yeah. uh, you know, Russ, to your point, we're all creatives in, at the end of the day. And what we want to do is be able to be creative without the, the Sturm and Drang or the, 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 the mental anguish of having to play the politics of a team. And right. that's, I, I think, is the, one of the most important things that Zyflow does is it helps creative be, creatives be more successful at what they do. Because they're not hamstrung with a lot of those non-creative processes. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm so envious because, you know, at Design Pickle, we have optimized a creative process that really is 80% getting the person you need right away and that being consistent. We're really focused on the labor and the talent and like that <laughs> is it. Um, however, most of our challenges are, are in the communication space. It's not about the talent. It's not about the creatives. It's the fact that the communication parts of it are really, I would say, and, you know, I, I will be the first to admit a bit underbaked at Design Bickle because for us, we for years have been focused on a different part of the creative process, which is like, hey, I just need someone today and I need to know that they're available all the time mm -hmm. and it's not going to, you know, it's not going to break my bank. So I see I see when we're looking at future solutions the communication part is so curious to me because like, I'll give you a quick example. I was on a client call on Monday and the client had, you know, more than a dozen requests, generally positive feedback and then canceled for no reason. And it was a friend of a friend. And so we got some word and tons of feedback. And when I dig into the deep call, he's like, yeah, I just didn't feel like the creative got it. I just didn't feel like the creative understood. And I was like, yo, did you say that like did you like right like if you we have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of creatives available like if you're like not vibing all you need to do is communicate that and is i went it? back to my ceo who leads product and i was like dude what are we missing to where communication is not it's such it's like it's not encouraged and there's so much psychology around <laughs> it and i think what i like about zyflow is like you eliminate the barriers 
and uh-huh. the silos of what traditionally you would have in a process. You know, here's our project management tool. Here's our feedback tool. Here's here's email with what we're doing and stuff here. Here's something, here's Slack. And so it's like, I feel like Xyflow is like, let's remove all the friction possible so that the most amount of communication and collaboration can happen. And 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 that to me is the golden ticket for great work. For I completely agree. I completely presumed. agree. And and then this is the reason why I think there's a difference in creative process and creative workflow. If you visualize mm. it, your creative process is a uh, stakeholder requests something, a designer picks up the ticket, picks up the, the work, uh, delivers the first version back to the stakeholder. All of those are sort of islands in the sea, waypoints along mm. the way. The creative workflow is how I get from stage one, island one to island two, how, how <laughs> that happens, how yeah. I am conveyed that information and how that information gets conveyed back to the stakeholder and how they get that back to me. The, the problem isn't necessarily the cities you visit along, along the way. It's the roads you take to get there and how you can get to from one point, one stage in your process to the other. And that's what we try to facilitate. And I think you've, mm. you've hit the nail perfectly on the head. It's like you can have the greatest creative process on the planet, but if you can't get from stage one to stage done in a pretty reasonable amount of time, you're missing out on, on right. you know, a great deal of, of revenue potential and you know, client relationship potential. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, people get stranded along the way and then things get stuck. They don't yep. know how to, um, where something is or what the timeline is or whatever. And then all of a sudden this is a terrible project. It's not working. And it, it's, it, it, it's not at all at about the actual creativity. It's like, that's what drives me so insane is like, it's really about that, that the bridges that are clear and understood to get there. And so, collaboration, I think, breeds transparency. So in the right. anecdote that you, you mentioned earlier, which is a, a sad anecdote for you guys, and I feel terrible about it, but it's like, if this person Gosh, felt- so like, heavy. It, well, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts to lose. Yeah. And you know, it hurts to churn. You know that. Um, if, if there was this feeling of, oh. hey, there's no bad feedback. I'm, I can share objectively, subjectively, whatever it is that I want. If there is this, this open line of communication, you know, uh, oh, can you, can this, the creative doesn't pop. Well, if there's a way for you to say, well, what do you mean by that? Let's talk through what, you know, what pop means. That, that transparency really can help breed a level of, I don't know, it brings people to the same table and start, people can start yeah. speaking the same language. It acts it like a real trust. Stone, you know, yeah, trust, trust. Oh, trust yeah, is like, huge. Exactly. That's, exactly. that's the thing. And, you know, and, and I think in the antidote I gave, and I think in most, like I used to run a creative agency and when trust was lost, it was rarely because of the creative product. It was mm-hmm. because of the connection between the people. Completely agree. And that, and that, and that degraded. So, um, all right, let's shift into some nerdy stuff. So we are Create Tech. It's about creativity, technology. Um, Zyphal has been in a space of building these bridges, helping people come together. But at the end of the day, you're in the space of technology in general. I think probably personally, like me, you're seeing AI, you're seeing automation, you're seeing all of these things. So um, without pissing off your product team on on promises <laughs> and things, uh, you know, in the umbrella of where you're at today, what are some things you're really excited about that you are either currently or going to be bringing into this space with a lot of this new technology that's out there? So you mentioned AI. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, I think it's important to approach the use of artificial intelligence 
in an ethical way. Mm-hmm. I, I think too frequently technologists in a general sense see the bright, shiny new object and they go whole hog after it. And then that's when, you know, without any breaks, without any think about the consequences. I mean, I think about bored ape, you know, the whole, the whole notion of NFTs and virtual things that don't necessarily exist. And now a lot of those things that, that celebrities purchased for multiple millions of dollars are worth nothing now yeah. because nobody thought about what happens after that. Right. So, our approach, our, our, our personal approach, our products approach to AI is not meant to replace the creative. It's meant to augment the creative process. Because to your point, Thank not you. every stakeholder knows how to speak creative. They don't know how to properly convey what, what XYZ should look like. If, if a brief changes or the, the, um, the outcome of the resulting creative work, it changes midstream, how do you properly convey that? And if you don't really know the right way to say it, how can you bring uh, another member of the conversation, quote unquote, in as a third party to sort of help add to the, the, the collaborative process? So mm-hmm. we have basically built AI into our software as a, as a text prompt. Hey, mm-hmm. what's, can you give me some ideas for uh, five quick taglines based on the information that you can read from the brief? Mm-hmm. And we send out the request. The AI comes back. Here's some taglines based on the information that you've provided, the context you've provided. We're not replacing a writer. We're just giving some additional ideas to the collaborators to say, hey, let's workshop one of these five options because I think that's a right. great idea. Or right. what is the best way to, you know, what are some other um, impressive vistas that we want to show as the key art in this adventure photography campaign? Oh, right. well, you know, the AI comes back. Well, why not a view from, you know, Christ the Redeemer on, in Rio de Janeiro? Why not, mm-hmm. you know, Machu Picchu? Why not uh, the top of K2? Any number of different things. These are all things that the AI will come back with that are meant to inhibit or an instill or sort of augment collaboration as opposed to an outright replacement. Hey, type in this, make this change for me, tweak it, and the AI just does it on its own, which takes creatives out of the conversation. And as a matter of fact, it even replaces them, you know? Well, it's 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 kind of comical to me because in the modern day of say Creative Cloud and Photoshop and stuff, if you're using those tools, there's already AI built into those yeah, tools. They just didn't brand it. it as such. Like it's like right. you know, if you're using a background removal tool for the last five or ten years, guess what that actually is? It's AI. That's right. It's like so I I don't I don't so when all of this exploded really late last year and into this year. I felt there was just like so much fear, so much conversation, so much. Obviously, there's still a lot to be. Uh, decided with um, copyright and usage and how these models are trained. We're, I'm not qualified to go down that path. But do you think that things have settled down a little? Because I don't, fe- I don't feel like they're, you know, aside from the intellectual copyright issues, which seem to be still pre- pretty prevalent, I feel that creatives are really starting to embrace it. And I feel like it's something that they're starting to see like, wow, I am kind of like, you know, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. I just went to Disney World. I went to the Avatar experience and the mech, the mech suits, you know, like mm-hmm. I can kind of put this on. I'm still in charge. I'm still driving it, but I'm also now able to do more. Um, what's your take, obviously, inside the company, creatives you work with in the spaces you're at? Am I super naive because we're building our own stuff and that's what I believe? Or do you feel like there has been a, a bit of a, of a, of a shift since that initial like, oh my gosh, all of our jobs are gone moment. I think that, I mean, I use AI every day, you know, for, for me as a, <laughs> as a, as a, as a writer, you know, I, I, I 
you know, I produce some blog content, I'll write web, web page content, sales collateral, you know, for us and for the amount of things that we're doing, there's often like a blinking cursor problem. How do I start? Now, where's right. the plate? Where's the moment where I can, go, I can, I can begin and move forward from here? And I think what AI can do, I mean, whether it be text-based AI or even visual AI, the mid-journeys and the dollies of the world, is it gives, it could give a creative or give a stakeholder a starting point. A, like, hey, this is, this is not exactly what we're looking for, but it's a start. Can we evolve from here? You know, so I do think that that is, that is where people are starting to put their toe in the water. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be an outright replacement for people's work, at least right now. But I do think it does provide a starting point. Now, mm -hmm. to your point, I don't think things are settled just yet. You know, there's right. um, it, uh, at least I don't want to date the podcast here, but right now there's there are two strikes that are happening in Hollywood right now. Right. And both of those strikes do focus on AI. You know, right. can you AI Tom Cruise into Mission Impossible 12? You know, he's right. he shot a, a boatload <laughs> of footage over his career can you basically have artificial intelligence just throw him on top of the motorcycle before it goes off the cliff? Is that really Tom Cruise after all? And does he right. deserve to get paid for that role if he's not actually in it? And the writers the same way. Will studios, instead of trying to solve the blinking cursor problem, will they just train a model on every single super mo superhero movie to have been made since and say, hey, we want to make Squirrel Girl. Uh, can you just <laughs> use some of these tropes, three or four action scenes, hit enter, and then bang, they have a script. Will it be shootable? Probably not, but it's going to be a, a far greater starting point than they would have had where they'd convene a writer's room of talented people in order to produce this content. So I certainly don't think things have settled down in the, in the broader sense of what AI is, but I think people who are starting to use it and starting to find success with it are doing so to solve some of their biggest problems, which is oftentimes... How do I start? Where do I go right. from this moment, from, from, the, from the moment where I don't have anything, right? Well, and I love that example of the movies because if you think about, you know, the industry itself, there are essentially movies that have been created where it is like, let's get every demographic in the room. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure we have a character, a formula, Everything is designed to appeal to this 12%, this 11%. I feel like Fast and the Furious is a great example. It's like not every persona, every nuance, every identity, everything is represented. So it's like, we want to build the biggest buffet possible. And we're doing it not from a creative inspiration way, but because we are creating a formula to make money and we're, and we're quote unquote training ourselves and our creators on past successes and past genres and past things. And it's like kind of still happening. But when you think about the true creative work that's come out and the things that are just blowing our minds, it is, it is still extraordinary origin, extraordinarily original and extraordinarily different. And that's to me, I think it's like, I think the formula stuff will just become easier and easier and easier to produce. And there's always going to be a market popcorn. There's always going to be a market for the blah. I just want to not think and I just want to see some explosions. But like, if, if even if that's being created by computers, 100%, it's going to be, be created on all the things that have already been creative. So the real uniqueness for, for, for creatives is to say, what else? How else can I push this? Because my ideas haven't been put into a system. My ideas haven't been put into a training model. And if for me, I'm able to get that out, accelerate outcomes through tools and using that, 
I think it's a pretty bright future for creatives that they will, we will start to see more and more and more stuff that is just completely bonkers and completely out there that's never been thought of or seen, supported, but again, completely unique. I think it's also going to turn people who would not necessarily think of themselves as creatives yes. into <laughs> creatives. So uh, this is not meant to be a, a, a political comment at all. Uh, this is just this <laughs> is something that exists. So I'll say it matter of factly. But there's an Instagram account called Publicans, And the concept is uh, a, a guy uh, will type into Dolly in mid-journey a series of prompts and basically create Republican politicians dressed in drag and creating the scene <laughs> around them. Now, again, I- I'm not saying whether I agree with this or disagree with this at all, but that person who's using Dolly, using mid-journey, using probably ChatGPT as well, to figure out what it is they should prompt the visual uh, algorithms, they probably themselves are not Photoshop uh, aficionados. They're probably not the person that is in the weeds with Adobe Illustrator, but they do know how to use these tools to convey an idea to then get the tool itself to produce what it is they want to see. Absolutely. And I think that is giving a, a, a person who is not tactically creative but strategically creative, the ability to actually spit something out on the other side. And that's where I think AI could potentially be, you know, uh, uh, an expanding or something that, that in uh, a tent that's always growing and and, and enveloping and inviting more people in to be able to play in the creative sandbox when they don't necessarily have the years and years of experience of being able to utilize some of these tools in order to create what it is their brain can see, right? Yeah. Well, and that's essentially when we've seen creative explosions across mm-hmm. history. It's because the barriers have been removed. And mm-hmm. if you go back to like the Renaissance time, you know, there was an abundance of things that people weren't dying and they, you know, they had the ability to kind of have a little bit of extra time. Same with industrial revolution. And, you know, now we're not just stuck in these factories and we can have more productive things. I'm not like working two weeks to pay for my electricity. I can now go out and be creative. And I think this is a, not as dramatic of a shift from a lifestyle perspective, but it definitely from a tool and accessibility standpoint, that is kind of where we're at today. Well, now I can just use a methodology I I already am good at talking, writing, whatever, and it's creating creative works inside of it. So should be definitely a, uh, uh, an interesting pathway ahead. Also, probably a lot of weird stuff to come. You know, I I say this when it comes to technology. I, I don't I don't fire up my oven to cook hot pockets. You know, that's why yeah. I have a microwave. <laughs> you know, and the as as men and women as humans um, uh, want to solve problems, they come up with new and ingenious ways, technology, in order to solve those problems for them. So to try to stand there. Uh, out in the rain, screaming at, you know, the clouds, why is it wet? Um, you sort of have to embrace technology or recognize where it's going and do your very best, like I mentioned earlier, to anticipate what the pitfalls could be and try to put, you know, blocks in place, try to put, you know, regulation in place in order to prevent, you know, things from falling off a cliff, right? I love it. All right, so we're going to go into kind of just the final fun little segment here. Um Obviously, Zyflow is, is, is your main thing. You mentioned, though, I use AI every day. So mm-hmm. I would love to hear what are some tools, maybe AI, maybe just general creative technology tools that you're really loving right now 
recommendations, curiosities, things that you, you, you're having fun with. Um, maybe your meme game is out of control because of one specific thing, but I'd love to hear, you know, what's, what's, what are you, what are you enjoying and what's really making an impact for you right now? Um, as a technologist, as a product marketer, as a creative. You know, I, I will tell you, this is not necessarily new news, uh, but, you know, I got a smart TV at home and I got the Hulus and the Netflix and the Disney Pluses and you got all these apps on your Apple TV. The app I spend the most time watching is YouTube. That, hey. that is the content that I consume the most. Now, whether it be from a business perspective, whether it be my interests, my, the things that I like, whether it be literally either long or short form, you know, video content that takes a place of what you would watch you know, a tw you know, modern family or the office, YouTube is the frontier. It is the okay. thing that draws my eyeballs or the eyeballs in this house most frequently. So for right. me, it's not only just a source of entertainment, but it's a source of information. Uh, again, this is not groundbreaking. This is not a fun, uh, a brand new app <laughs> nobody's ever heard of. This is YouTube. But I feel like there is a world where, um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say to my wife at some point, like, do we really need Netflix? It's going to be another, it's going to be 17 bucks by the end of the year. Like, what do we actually watch on this when we spend the vast majority of our time, you know, watching workout related things or food related things or soccer related things right. on, on YouTube? That's where our, our primary content consumption happens. So in that vein, we at Zyflo have been really leaning into YouTube. You know, we, mm. we think, oh, YouTube, frankly, is the second most valuable search engine on the planet behind Google. And guess who owns them both? So, you know, optimizing for the YouTube audience who are looking to find a video solution to their problem as opposed to a written solution to their problem is going to be incredibly valuable. And, you know, where AI comes into place, you know, YouTube has is, is been using machine learning for decades, serving right. you up the next thing in your playlist based on what it, it thinks that you're looking for, the thing it thinks you want to watch. So, to your point, this is nothing new. AI has been in our lives for a very long time. Um, so I, that, that's one of the things that I find both as a product marketer, hey, how do I solve this problem? What's the best way to say this? And, you know, hey, what are some of our, our competitors doing in this space? And even just from a personal perspective, like, oh, I, I like watching, you know, Maddie Matheson and Carla Lally music and uh, Binging with Babish and The Educated Barfly. That's the type of content <laughs> I consume. It's, it's making good drinks and making good food. What else am I missing? I discovered Joshua right. Weissman from just on the back of one of these videos. And that is, that to me is really fascinating. And, um, and then one of the things that I'm, I don't think it's any, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. I think that will be a, a source of great content, great ideas, great collaboration, great motivation uh, for a long time to come, to be sure. Two, two quick things on YouTube. Thank God for it because I, I now know how to descale any coffee machine I've ever had in my life. So that's like the main thing for YouTube for me is understanding the descaling process. Mm -hmm. and, and, and also finally giving in to Mr. Beast. I found, <laughs> I fought it for so long, but my kids pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And finally, I was like, I, I, I leaned into it and I love it. And it's like the, the so creative, so fun. And I really feel like I missed my calling in life watching him and the work I am that he's Mr. Doing. Beast adjacent still. I, I watch Mark Ro I watch Mark Rober every month. Mark Rober is fantastic. Uh, he does a lot of stuff with Jimmy Jimmy Donaldson. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm close to I haven't gotten there yet, but I mean to your point, uh, YouTube's a vortex. It'll suck me yeah, in some yeah. right. Awesome. 
Well, Eric, look, we want to keep this short and sweet. I really, I really appreciate the time <clears throat> today. Um, I really appreciate also just the complexity and the depth that we got into talking yeah. about things. What is what is the um, what is the one takeaway that I think that you're seeing in the space for creatives and technology? You know, whether that is um, a mindset, uh, something that you think that people really should lean into, um, any anything that you're really holding true to you as you're moving forward in this fast moving space with so many things changing every single day to help keep you guided, you know, along the path. Russ, I'll pick it up exactly where your question ended. You know, the more things change and they are changing rapidly, the more things stay the same. The problems that exist are still there. So TikTok, uh, we just talked about YouTube. Uh, Threads will more than likely be an advertising channel you know, before the end of this decade. Um, you've got a whole host of other, uh, you know, whether it be over-the-top video or uh, out-of-home advertising, you know, digital bus boards. I mean, you name it, there's more formats, there's more opportunities to get advertising or good creative into the eyes or in front of the eyes of consumers, into the ears of consumers, podcast advertising, that it's actually leading to a multiplicative effect for every single creative campaign that a creative is going to be working on. Yet, the feedback that they're trying to get from a stakeholder is probably done the same way they've done, been doing it before. Sending them an email, sending them a Slack message, sending them a Teams. Now multiply that by two, four, six, eight, ten different formats that are being introduced. Rich media. Didn't even talk about rich media. Yeah. You know, you've got, you have these websites that are dynamic and, you know, follow your cursor around. Like, it's not just how it looks, but how it reacts and how, how what the, the functionality is. All of that is creative. All of it is changing and evolving before our eyes, yet we still have not necessarily played the whack-a-mole that we needed to with the problems that, you know, that existed back when it was just newsprint or single PDFs is, how do I get this in front of somebody who can give me the right feedback? How can they give me the right feedback in the right way in a timely manner? And how can I address that feedback in a way that doesn't take me context switch me away from Mm -hmm. my creative process? And I I love the future. I'm excited to be living in the future. But we still need to rectify the problems of our past in order to live in the future that we want to live, right? Well said. Eric, where can people find you? Where should we send everybody who wants to learn more about you, product, whatever it is? You can find Ziflow.com, Z-I-F-L-O-W.com on the website there. I'm the product marketer. I read a lot of our product release content. Uh, You'll probably hear my voice in some of our video content on our (laughs) YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Ziflow. Me personally, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me on the social network formerly known as Twitter, uh, <laughs> slash Eric Manser, E-R-I-K-M-A-N-S-U. But um, it is it's great to be a guest on the podcast, Russ. I really, really have enjoyed this. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to plug me and, and plug the work that we're doing. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Eric. And to get the details, to see all the links and things we've talked about, everybody, head over to our website, designpickle.com slash create tech, C-R-E-A-T. E-C-H, and we'll see you on the next episode. To stay up to date on all our future episodes, access show notes, as well as see our past great interviews, head over to our site, designpickle.com slash create tech. That's slash C-R-E-A-T-E-C-H. We'll see you next time. Take care.